we have this kind of ingrained idea that less is going to be better for us. But what happens then is we end up not eating enough or feeling restricted, feeling deprived, feeling over hungry. And that's when cravings come in. That's when overindulging comes in. This is Grow To Be Free, a self-development podcast that helps ambitious ladies pursue their dreams while finding peace, happiness, and maintaining a thriving mental health. My name is Kiani, and I burnt myself out at age 22. I didn't know my purpose. I hated my job. I thought money was the answer to all my problems, and girl, was I sad. I fought through anxiety and depression by working on myself nonstop. Now, I can honestly say that I am happy, I find peace every single day, and I'm on a journey to discover my best life. Join me as I sit with other ambitious gals who have learned to unlock this new level of life. Think of us as the girlfriends that actually grow with you. We'll share all the tangible tips to help you transform your mindset, mental health, relationships, faith, and finances. Plug in your headphones, get ready to jot down some notes, and let yourself be inspired. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Grow To Be Free podcast. I am here with Steph Genko. She is a certified health and wellness coach and a holistic nutritionist who is dedicated to helping women take control of their lives through healthy habits and an attitude of self-love. She guides women to nourish their bodies with whole plant foods while maintaining a positive relationship with fun foods. So I want to go ahead and introduce Steph because she has a really great perspective about um, diet culture and how we should be looking at that because we're in a society where we just have so many diets thrown at us on a consistent basis and sometimes we don't know which one to go with or sometimes we don't know if it's going to be good for us and so I wanted to bring Steph on to really talk about this and give us some great perspective so that way we know how to approach these going forward. So welcome Steph to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me and for that intro. I'm excited to be with you and chat with your people. Yeah, we're happy to have you. So I wanted to kind of get a sense from you on what your definition is of diet culture. I'm sure you can explain a little bit better than I can of like what that looks like for us um, in our daily lives. Sure. Yeah. And I think um, we toss around the phrase diet culture a little bit, at least they do in the circles I hang out with where, you know, we think that things remind us of diet culture or we're trying to ditch diet culture, but like what are we talking about when we say that, right? Like we're saying ditching diet culture. And so first I think you have to kind of look at what a diet is, right? And there's multiple definitions of diet. So a diet can just be the patterns of what we eat, right? Like I have a certain way I eat and so do you and so does my dog. We all have different diets, just patterns of what we eat. A diet can also be a, a specific pattern of eating, something that we've maybe manipulated for a certain reason. So for example, I eat a plant-based diet. So I eat a diet that doesn't contain um, animal product. That's just a choice I've made to modify my specific pattern. My diet ha or my dog has a diet that she eats as well because I've manipulated a little bit. She has things she's allergic to, right? So we have ways that we can change our patterns of eating. But kind of the danger zone for me when it comes to dieting is when that pattern is about um, restricting or about eating less um, to a point that's no longer comfortable for us or supportive of our health. So diet culture is kind of that like overarching belief that it's normal to micromanage the way that we eat, especially when it's related to kind of manipulating our body size or our body shape. So diet culture as like a cultural norm tends to value being thin over other elements or over um, tends to value appearance, over valuing health. And diet culture tends to be infused with um, rules. And sometimes they're arbitrary rules or they're outdated rules. They're almost always restrictive rules. But it's kind of like a lot of rules or guidelines about the ways that we should eat for kind of the overarching um, intention of changing our body size or changing our body shape, not improving our health. So when I talk about like getting freedom from diet culture, I'm looking at how do we kind of shake some of these societal norms that are really centered around um, size and not centered around health. 
That's so good. I I love that because I love how you made that distinction because it's true that we can have our own diet, you know, the things that we just eat on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. But you're pinpointing the idea that society shapes diets sometimes around fixing fixing quote unquote our body shape or changing it in a way that's quote unquote desirable mm-hmm. so i i love that you made the, that distinction how do you normally go about changing mindsets around diet mm-hmm. like if somebody is typically focused on being thin like what is the thought process there of like how to start redirecting that mindset mm-hmm. yeah well weight loss or weight gain or body shape or desirability is an end result. It's not like a habit. So my approach is very habits-based, right? So I can't wake up in the morning and say, today I'm going to be skinny, right? Or I can't say, today I gain weight. Or I can't, you know, I can't like wake up and make that decision. But I can wake up and make a decision about what my behavior is going to be like or about what my mm-hmm. actions are going to be, right? So it it kind of takes the emphasis off of the result and puts it back onto the process. So it's fine. You know, it's your body and it's your life, right? If, if you know that you feel comfortable in a smaller body, great. If you know that you feel comfortable in a larger body, awesome. That's an end result. And what we tend to, what I like to focus on or what we focus on with my clients is the process that makes you feel good that might get toward that result. So it's kind of putting our intention on what are our eating patterns like? What are our movement patterns like? What's our sleep health like? How do we manage our stress, right? What are our day-to-day habits like that are going to probably you know, if we get those aligned, support what we want our end result to be. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like changing what our focus is. And then also removing a lot of the language around like um, black and white thinking patterns or good and bad thinking patterns, right? That some foods are good for you and some foods are bad for you. Or that mm-hmm. some foods make you gain weight and some foods make you lose weight. Or that some foods um, you you know, there's kind of like these rules that we set for ourselves, or you can never eat past 7pm, right? That's another like super common one, like don't eat at night. Um, You should fast in the morning, right? There's like all these like hard and fast rules. Um, But my life is not your life, my body's not your body. And that goes for every single person. So we try to remove some of the black and white thinking and instead look at how am I going to make the next best, healthier, nutritious choice for me? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, you listed off off some really important, I'll call them myths (laughs) for the sake of um, simplicity, but some ideas that have been perpetuated through culture Mm -hmm. that people tend to just believe. Like, well, we'll we'll just take the the example of, you know, some foods are quote unquote bad for you and some are quote unquote good. So are you saying that um, when we look at our own lives, like say, for example, maybe maybe some processed foods are okay to eat versus for other people, they're like, oh, no, we should stay away from processed foods. Is that what you mean? Well, it's a lot about the way that your bo- our individual bodies respond to things that mm-hmm. we eat, right? So a lot of finding kind of freedom from diet cultures or diet norms is about improving the relationship in listening to your own body. So mm-hmm. what works for one body doesn't work for another body. So for example, um, my sister cannot eat bananas, Mm-hmm. They don't respond well to her just digestive system. They're, they're like a, a trigger for her, right? So bananas are like a forbidden bad food for her. I eat a banana a day. It's not a bad food for me, right? And for most people, it's probably something that gives good nutrition to your body and feels just fine. But good and bad foods should really be like reserved for things that we are allergic to or sensitive to, or that don't feel good or that we don't like, right? Like that's the stuff we need to really truthfully eliminate. Everything else, could things be more nutritious for our body? Sure. Could they offer less nutrition for our body? Yes. Does that make them a morally good or bad choice? No. Are we a morally good or bad person for having eaten them? Absolutely not, right? It's just that they might offer more nutrition or less nutrition than something else. Mm. Yeah. That's that's really key. Yeah, I think you hit on something important. It's it's more about the the mindset and how we frame certain things rather than 
or like the labels. It's, it matters the label that we put on certain foods. Yeah, the language that we use to talk about food and to talk about our food choices matters so much because words have power, right? Mm -hmm. Words have power in all contexts. So if we are using words like good and bad and right and wrong to talk about foods, that's kind of attaching a morality to food that it doesn't really deserve. That's you know, true. It's just food. It's just food. And we can choose to say that food makes me feel good or that food makes me feel bad. Then it's giving it a feeling. It's not giving it like a, you know, a, a different kind of moral weight in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely makes sense. The, the other one that you mentioned, it had to do with – Was it like eating after seven or something like that? Because I get that one yeah. all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh -huh. The fasting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like not eating in the morning and that sort mm -hmm. of thing. Um, mm -hmm. And that's that's a diet culture thing, right? So intermittent fasting became wildly popular. And so now there's kind of a is it right or wrong conversation that happens around fasting. Fasting is not right or wrong. It can be appropriate or not appropriate for different types of bodies or different types mm -hmm. of health, right? Same with eating after seven. That's when all the time girls will come to me and say like, Oh, but I kind of messed up and I ate late last night. I'll say, what? How is that messing up? How is it messing up that you ate late last night? Well, I know you're not supposed to eat after seven. Like, who told you that? Right? Like, where do we get these ideas from? Mm -hmm. There are lots of times that it's good to eat after seven o'clock at night. Maybe you haven't eaten dinner yet and your body's missing fuel. It's missing calories for the day, right? Maybe you do need to eat after seven. Maybe there's a a social gathering that happened and you'd like to partake in that social gathering or that event, you know, you don't have to say, well, I can't eat after seven. So I guess I can't partake in this other joyful experience or part of my life, right? Maybe your dinner was not satisfying. You ate dinner before seven and now you're thinking, I am hungry. I am not going to sleep well tonight, right? I'm not going to sleep through the night. Okay, well, then you need to eat something else. Your body's telling you something, right? So it's more important that we listen to what our body has to tell us about its nutrition than it is to give our body like arbitrary rules. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think the arbitrary rules like don't even make sense sometimes. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, most of the times. Like, for example, in this, you know, don't eat after seven, it's like, well, why? And at least, and you can prove, you can tell me if this is completely a myth as well, but like the research that I've done on the eating after seven, it's mostly like, hey, you don't really want to eat like uh, later than two hours before you're about to sleep. And so like, if you go to sleep at like nine or 10, then yeah, you might not want to eat later than seven. So it's not necessarily the time. It's more so like the amount of hours between when you go to sleep. So yeah. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that and what you think. Yeah, sure. Well, if we can accept the idea that food is fuel, that food is what fuels our body and fuels our day, and we can accept the idea that calories are a measurement for the energy in food, then yeah, if we eat late at night, it's possible that we're giving our body fuel or energy that it doesn't need because it's trying to go to sleep, right? So sometimes we can fall into that trap that we've just eaten a meal and an hour later, we're like, cool, now I've got all this new energy and it can disrupt our sleep. Um, it also gives your body um, a job to do when you go to sleep, which is digestion. So if you eat a lot before you go to sleep, your body's spending its time and energy and resources digesting food when it should be doing them using those resources for other things like um, repairing your cells and kind of improving your cognition and memory and creativity for when you wake up, right? Your body has jobs to do while you're asleep. So there is, you know, there are reasons why it could be preferable to eat a little bit earlier, right? But the danger zone is where we make hard and fast rules, Right. So mm -hmm. the danger rules is the danger zone is when somebody said, well, we, we don't eat after seven. And now you're like, but it's 730 and I didn't get to eat dinner yet. OK, well, yeah. it's more important that your body gets dinner than it is that you kind of messed with some 30 minute timeline. Yeah, definitely. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for making that distinction. Yeah. Yeah. yeah those are good. Um, and it's these great areas that are important. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like kind of navigating in between eat before seven or eat after seven. We'll just keep going with this example for a second. But it's like navigating the middle ground, you know, and I think yeah. in we could 
all probably agree that like extreme opinions or extreme black and white thinking doesn't serve us in most areas of our life, right? Yeah. Like the, the extremities are what um, could maybe cause some confrontation. It's the same kind of when we use these these hard and fast rules. And if we can navigate all the space in between and figure out where in the gray area is the right place for us and our body, um, then we're going to be kind of giving our bodies what they more of what they need. Yeah, definitely makes sense. So how does a person first go about finding out what works for their body as opposed to not? Mm-hmm. Like what's the process there? Um. I kind of put it into two parts and those are education and communication. Okay. Mm-hmm. So part of it, part of kind of improving your healthy habits or improving your relationship with food is educating yourself, educating yourself first on what your own patterns are like. So I'm a big advocate of food journaling of journaling in general, but of food journaling. And by food journaling, I do not mean food tracking. I don't mean using any sort of apps. I don't mean counting your calories or counting your macros or whatever, but I mean being thoughtful and reflective about what your own practices are. So maybe um, keeping a notebook by you or keeping a note open. I'm also a big like paper pen person. So I would have a notebook there, but, or keeping a notes section um, open in your phone where you're just kind of jotting down like, 8 a.m., I drank coffee without judgment, right? Jotting down without judgment, without measurement. 8 a.m., drank coffee. 9 a.m., made some toast, still felt hungry. 11 a.m., starving, added some fruit, right? Noon, whatever. And just kind of like marking your way through your day, noting generally what you ate, generally when that was. And the most important part is how you felt when that happened. Kind of noting, um, you know, a lot of times where food tracking or food logging falls short is it doesn't connect other feelings or symptoms or mood or things to what we're eating into the time of day. So really kind of treating it more as a journaling practice of what are my patterns throughout the day? Could there be a connection then to when I'm eating, what I'm eating, and the way that I feel? So the first part is kind of educating yourself on your own patterns and habits. There's also an education piece when it comes to food, how different foods serve our bodies, right? Like what are, what is the job of a carbohydrate in our body? It's to give us energy. Okay. What's the job of protein in our body, right? Obviously it's to build our muscles and to repair our cells. So when we learn about the jobs of different foods, it kind of takes the, um, the stigmas out of them, right? There's no like carbs are bad sort of mentality. It's no Carbs are our brain's primary source of energy. Carbs, carbohydrates are a macronutrient we're supposed to include in large amounts because it fuels our brain and fuels our body. Okay, so now I have some ideas about what these foods do in my body. How can I put them together to make sure that I'm getting foods that do a bunch of jobs in my body, right? So there's an education piece to this. And then the second piece is the communication. And communication is a two-way street, right? When we communicate, we're not just talking, we're also listening. And I think um, most of us have talked to somebody before where you know they're not really listening because they are already thinking of what they're going to say back to you next, right? You ever talk to somebody and you're like, you didn't hear a word I said, you had your answer prepared, right? And I kind of equate that to the idea of listening to your body. Sometimes we don't listen to the cues our body's giving us. We just come in with what we think it should do. I don't care if you're hungry, body. It's not the right time to eat. I don't care if you're full. The food on your plate isn't gone, right? We kind of disregard those and we have our answers for our bodies and for, you know, our fullness and hunger and all that prepared. So communication with our body is really starting to tune into what your body is telling you. Am I making a choice that feels good? After this meal, do I feel hungry still? Do I feel full? Do I feel satisfied, which is different than full, right? Like, does it make me feel good? Do I feel like I had enough and it was delicious? Do I, am I looking for something else, right? It's kind of paying attention. Do I have a headache? Does my stomach feel weird? Do I have a ton of energy and I feel awesome, right? And it's kind of paying attention to those steps of what the cues your body is giving you so then you can start to respond appropriately, make your body response match. 
Does that kind of answer that answer yeah. that question for you? Yeah. yeah, that totally does. I love all of that context because I especially love the food journaling thing because whenever I have heard people talk about like food logging and stuff, I've always thought about like my fitness pal or you know for me mm-hmm. I used to use the Fitbit app to track my stuff mm-hmm. and when I did that I can attest that for a time I, it, it did help me out but after a certain period of time I got like super hyper focused on the calories in calories out right. the amount of macro percentage and I would actually get like frustrated when like I wasn't seeing any quote unquote results, Mm -hmm. yet I was still falling within this like arbitrary number or range that I really wanted to hit or whatever. And I also did not feel very good. So at, at, at a certain point, I realized how unhealthy it was for me because I was just like not happy with myself and with tracking that I stopped doing it. And after that, just understood like, okay, well, these are the foods that I like. And I know generally speaking, like I'm going to Um, feel better if I have like this amount of food per day. So Mm -hmm. I I definitely resonate with what you're saying. And I love how you described the food journal in that way. And I've never heard of it described in that way, because I feel like that's actually helping people learn what the food does to their own specific bodies. So thanks for sharing. For the last four years, I personally have been using journaling as a healing practice and it's literally transformed my life. It's one of the key ways I've been able to work through my anxiety, get myself out of depression and really begin to thrive in life. If you're looking to get into journaling or you are in need of a new one, the Ambitious Peace journals are now available on Amazon. For those of you who don't know, these are super cute aesthetic journals with a different encouraging motivational and insightful quote on every single page they're small enough to fit in a purse they're college ruled and have 150 pages of space to free write jot down your life plan or to process those really tough thoughts and emotions If you have been watching this on YouTube or Spotify, you'll be able to see what they look like, but I will describe them for everybody, so don't worry. One is this monochromatic chocolate wave design. The second one is another monochromatic look, but it's like a pink, light pink painting on canvas. And the last one is a light blue white square geometric pattern that is very satisfying to the eye. My favorite one happens to be the chocolate one, but I'm looking forward to hearing which one is your favorite. So let me know in the comments or in your reviews. Again, you can find these on Amazon. I will link the Amazon link in the description of this show. And without further ado, let's get back to the episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up the MyFitnessPal thing because it's a tool, right? And, and it's okay if people like that tool. It's a tool that sometimes I still check in with, not because I want to know if I'm eating enough calories or something like that, but because it does give you the breakdown of what kinds of nutrients are in your food. So if you're able to kind of you know, keep a tool like that at a healthy distance where you're able to say like, this is a learning tool. This is a resource. I understand that when I scan this piece of bread, it means that it contains some carbohydrates and some fiber and some protein. And what could I put with it that would kind of, you know, give me different nutrients. Then it's an awesome learning tool. Right. And I, I love to use it I love to have girls use it, especially, um, who are kind of a little carbohydrate wary, because sometimes we we label a food as like one thing, and by looking at its nutrition breakdown, we realize it has more nutrients in it than we thought, right? Like somebody will say, are, are beans a carbohydrate or a protein? Okay, beans are beans, and they contain carbohydrates, and they contain proteins. And if we can look at the breakdown of that, you know, kind of have a tool like MyFitnessPal or a resource or I you can Google like nutrition info in beans, and it gives you a little breakdown, right? Um that's part of the education process. It's part of kind of re- relearning or telling ourselves, this is not a food to be afraid of. This is a food that offers my body some different nutrients that do different jobs. It's kind of like an awareness piece. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. And just for the people listening, I started off doing that 
And I took it to another level. I got mm-hmm. super like hyper focused on it. And that's what you don't want to do. You don't want to look at, oh my gosh, I hit this amount of carbs or oh my gosh, I hit this amount of calories like and stress yourself out about it. Like I was like literally running around my kitchen thinking like, oh my gosh, like what do I need to get rid of? Or like, what do I need to like, I need to eat something, but I can't eat that because it's it'll throw it off or, you know, so right. like it just was crazy. Like it just mm-hmm. con- consumed my brain. And that's like, that's how you not want to use it. <laughs> And I think that's really common. That's a common experience. Yeah, you're not alone in that idea. And I think it's because, you know, and this is a whole different rabbit hole, but like technology is designed to be addicting, right? Apps are designed to want to keep you on them. We know this, right? If anybody's watched like The Social Dilemma or anything like that, Mm -hmm. like technology is designed for us to want to use it. So the owners of MyFitnessPal are brilliant and we want to keep doing it to see if we can hit the numbers, hit the marks, hit the whatever, right? And so I think that's another piece of the awareness is just saying like, I recognize that that is what this tool is doing. This tool, I, I'm not designing my life for this tool. This tool is meant to work for me. And it's the same thing with like journaling. It's the same thing with any other practice, right? Or when people talk about, uh, you know, fitting into clothes or something like that, like, you are not made to fit into your clothes. Your clothes are meant to fit on your body. So if that means bigger jeans, that means bigger jeans. If those feel good and are made for your body, where your body's at, right? So it's kind of the same thing. Like we are not made to work for tools. Tools are made to work for us. Yeah. I love that. That's really awesome. So I kind of want to dive now into our relationship with food. And you kind of touched on it earlier Mm -hmm. uh, about just how culture and society develops it. But I think more on a personal level, like how how does our relationship with food develop as we're growing up? Mm -hmm. And um, how can we learn to discover what our relationship with food is like? Yeah. Are good questions. Um, everything affects the way that we view food, and it starts with the way that our parents and families and households viewed food, right? It starts with the way that meals were presented when we were kids, with the way that um, food rules were in our homes, and the way that our families talked about food. So um, even things as simple as if you had a rule in your house growing up where you had to finish your vegetables before you could have dessert. Okay. That starts to develop an idea in our heads that vegetables are the things I have to suffer through in order to get to the food that is the reward, right? Mm-hmm. So it starts right away as soon as we're little. And this is through nobody's fault. This is not our parents' fault. Like it's also what they knew, right? Or, or it's also if you're a parent listening to this, it's probably what you knew, right? And so we just do what we know. We do what we think is right at the time. Um but it gets passed down, right? So it starts to ingrain in us the idea that certain foods are healthy, certain foods are rewards, certain foods are fun, um, certain foods are not fun. Even the way that we um, we use food for celebration or food for reward, right? And I've used I've talked about this example on some of my stuff before, but I I was a teacher for several years before kind of making this shift into health and wellness, and I would give candy as a reward in my classroom, right? That was a common practice. And it was only several years later, kind of reflecting back on the idea that uh, we were using food, we're using a certain kind of food in connection with something positive, right? Food's job, food is not a reward. You get food all, you, you get food every single day. That is not a reward, that is a human necessity. And you get food you enjoy just because you're a human too. And food tastes good and you have taste buds right? And my dog has food that she likes better than other foods. And sometimes she gets that, sometimes she doesn't, right? So there's a lot of this kind of like way that we handle food when we're younger. There's also um, the patterns of kind of eating that we grew up with. You know, some people grew up with a... um, a lot of experiences with takeout or fast food, you know, and that was the norm in their household. Some people grew up with somebody putting a home-cooked meal on the table. That changes the way that you think about food and food's job and food's nutrition, right? So there are some things that, again, are not right or wrong or good or bad. They're just simply the way that we were exposed to food when we were little. There's also the idea of the way that people talked about food. So um, if people in your life or in your household were talking about 
having to be on a diet, having to lose weight. I can't eat that, right? I remember the phrase from my childhood of like, I don't even know who said that, but I just sticks in my head that whole like um, a moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips type thing. Okay, well, <laughs> we've ever heard that before. So a moment yeah. on the lips, a lifetime on the hips, right? And wow. so doesn't that as a kid get you thinking, oh, my gosh. oh is it worth eating this if it's going to – if it's going to add to my hips for the rest of my life, right? Like there, there's language like this out there. Or if somebody, you know, if I think about it a lot when, you know, if, if um, you and your family or you experience other people where there's certain kid food and there's certain adult food, mm-hmm. right? Or there are certain um, things that it's okay for the kids to eat donuts, but I can't eat that right? That's, that's mm-hmm. not on my diet, right? And that language is picked up from a super, super young age from, from mm-hmm. all of us. And that shapes the way that we think about food and the way that we think about our food choices and if food is good or bad for us. You know, that language and those patterns start to develop really young. And then we carry that with us. Then we carry that through as we get older to social situations, where friends are eating, what they're eating. Um, peer pressure happens around food too, to eat or to not, to not eat right? So as we grow, obviously, that that changes based off of who we're spending our time with. Um, And then we can add in societal pressure, marketing Mm -hmm. pressure, social media pressure, right? And if you pick up anything at the grocery store and it's got a label on it that says, you know, protein packed or low carb or healthy or this many points or whatever, right? Like it's all in the marketing on food that we are exposed to and advertisement we're exposed to. So all of that creates us. And then we have our own experiences, right? So you said, you know, your experience using MyFitnessPal, that changes the way that you think about food, you know, experience trying different, if somebody's tried a keto diet, tried a paleo diet, you know, you've tried different trends or experiences and you have had a personal response to that. That affects the way that you think about food. If your size has changed over time, that affects the way that you think about food. Um, so it's really, com- it's a complex relationship. And that is why it's not as simple as saying, here's a 21-day meal plan and all of your problems will be fixed. It's just not that easy because it took a whole lifetime to develop this relationship with food. It doesn't just go away because you followed somebody's plan. Mm. Yeah. What are some of the flaws you see with uh, a meal plan? Like, is it, is the flaw in how the plan was developed or do you see it more just as like, hey, like we, we just need to make this a lifestyle and not just do this for 21 days? Yeah. There's always something to be learned. The error, the the dangerous part, I think, is that we're not usually looking at them as how do I learn? We're looking at them as how do I follow? So um, if a meal plan is considered a framework and an awesome jumping off point and gives you great ideas and teaches you how to put meals together in a balanced way, again, it can be a great tool, but it's a tool that has to work for you. So um, I had a a client come to me who was following a a program that will not be named and um, only nine carrots fit in her box for that day, right? And she said... I knew there was something wrong with this when I wanted the 10th carrot and I thought I couldn't have it. That's the issue here, right? So the issue is feeling like meal plans restrict us from listening to our own body cues. So a plan is an awesome idea, right? I create meal plans with clients together where we look at preferences, we look at body needs, and we, we, we kind of put things together that are going to make their life easier, right? Again, as a helpful tool, put things together that make their life easier. But I don't do standalone meal plans because if I don't know you, I don't know your body. I don't know your lifestyle. I don't know how active you are. I don't know if you're sleeping well. I don't know if you're trying to have a baby. I don't know if you just ran a marathon, right? I don't know if you're just particularly hungry that day. And it's not my job from behind my computer to tell your body what it needs. Mm-hmm. So so that's kind of the, the, again, gray area with meal plans. Having a plan is a great thing. Having a plan that is specific to you and works for your body needs is an even better thing. 
Yeah, completely. I, I completely agree with you. And I'm the type of person who's like, looked into meal plans in the past or, you know, just trying to find a, a nutritionist to like help me with that. Um, but yeah, I've always kind of like had this notion in my head of like, well, I mean, how, how, yeah, like how in depth would that person really know what my body needs? And, um, I just recently bought a, like a, it's like a, it's labeled as a health intelligence test because mm-hmm. it, it it shows you like a range of different like scores based off of your your microbiome health. It gives you like your microbiological age and rates where your gut health is at and all of these or other sorts of things. So uh, the output of that is is going to kind of recommend like, hey, like these are the types of foods that mm-hmm. are good for your. I don't want to use good now. <laughs> like well, these ones, these ones yeah, are. Uh, yeah. Uh, great for your body (laughs) and these ones maybe avoid Mm -hmm. um, for your specific uh, body um, microbiology. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So uh, like I'm hoping that will give me just like a better sense because right now I just kind of have like this uh, overall understanding of like, oh, these are the the kinds of foods that I I feel good on, which is a great portion of that. But I don't know if I'm causing any more like inflammation or things Mm -hmm with other foods that I'm eating that maybe I should avoid. So what are your thoughts on um, tests like that? And and how, how can we go about like looking at those? I think it's all, a, it's all a piece to the puzzle, right? And so I've just always cautioned people to not trust a tool necessarily more than you trust your body. So um, I had a, a close friend recently take a test similar to that. And felt wonderfully affirmed by some of the things that it brought up, right? Where she was saying, I thought that was a problem for me and look at how it flagged on this, right? And then she'd look at something else and say, I, I know that that's something that's comfortable for me, right? So I think it's a piece to the puzzle. It's all just kind of like information. Again, it could be an awesome jumping off point, right? So it could be a way to say, okay, this is this is um, suggestions, right? If I was just to look at all the food in the universe and say, I'm going to try to figure out what feels good and what doesn't, could seem overwhelming or could seem like it's going to take forever to do that. So um, a test that kind of speaks to your potentially your own bio-individuality could give you a jumping off point. It could say, okay, these are kind of the s- six things that seems like you should avoid. Cool. Then you know those are the first six things that you'll try to avoid. And if it you know, you, there's a lot of trial and error and experimentation that comes with some of that journey afterward. But I think it could be good guidance. I just always want to see people combining any tool or resource they're using with their own education and their own body communication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love that piece yeah. of the puzzle. There we go. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah, I feel like that really brings it full circle. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any other steps or um, habits you feel like are, are super important to mention right now to for us to build healthier um, mindsets around food and eventually start living healthier habits? Sure. Um, sometimes, especially if people have kind of followed meal plans for a long time or used trackers or diets for a long time, the idea of listening to your body still feels confusing, right? So the idea of like, what am I looking for? Right. Or, or or they may have, you might feel like you start to lose your hunger cues or fullness cues. Like you're not really sure when you're hungry or you just think you are. Right. So when that happens, I usually encourage people to, um, come up with your own kind of check-in times, come up with your own times where you're going to pause in mindfulness and say, um, maybe it's before you eat a meal. Maybe um, I had one client recently who was having like an 8 p.m. alarm go off on her phone that just said like, check in. <laughs> and so when the alarm goes went off, she'd pause and say, okay, did I feel hungry today? Did I feel full today? Did I like what I ate? Do I notice any kind of physical discomfort, right? And it could be in your own head or you could write it down, jot it down in a journal, right? Not a tracker, but some kind of journal. Um, But just giving yourself that really intentional time to stop and question, how did I feel today connected to what I ate? Because I don't think we ask ourselves that day to day very much, right? Mm -hmm. So there's that intentionality there. 
Um, you could also do it again, like before or after your meal. Quick pause before you start. Okay. On a scale of one to 10, how hungry am I right now? Okay. I'm going to let that try to inform the way that I eat. After I eat a little bit, I'm going to pause. I'm going to say, all right, scale of one to 10. How satisfied am I feeling right now? It, it, it's a learning process. You're not going to do this forever in your life, right? But it's a, it's bringing some mindfulness and intentionality into what you're doing. Um, also really encourage people to check in with their own self-talk, right? So you just did it a second ago. You started to say, well, that's not good for me. And then you caught yourself and you're like, I'm going to think about what this really is, right? Is it nourishing for me? Is it causing me discomfort, right? We're going to give good good and bad just a little more vocabulary around them. So we can kind of put ourselves in check and figure out how we actually feel around that food. Um, and if you're doing those kinds of things and you're like, all right, I'm listening, I'm paying attention, but I still want to be eating healthier. I still want to be improving my nutrition. Like I'm not abandoning ship here, right? Like abandoning mm-hmm. diet culture doesn't mean <laughs> abandoning attention to our nutrition, so how am I going to do that? Right. And usually I suggest starting with one thing at a time. Maybe it's starting with one, um, like highly processed food or one packaged food item that you usually eat and creating a swap for it. So if you usually buy, um, regular pasta, can we make a swap for a whole grain pasta or a bean pasta? one item. If you usually buy um, a white bread or Italian bread or something like that, can I sometimes make a swap for something that's whole grain? If um, if I'm, I don't know, using a, a dressing at the store, you know, a salad dressing that I buy that's like got a ton of, you know, vegetable oils and seed oils and stuff like that in it. If I'm buying a, an, an oil and sugar-based dressing, can I come up with a dressing recipe that I like and I'm going to try to make it and experiment it and create something new and use that as a swap? So kind of one swap at a time. And then in addition to that, um, with clients, I always do the add, add one more. It's kind of the idea of um, nutrition by addition. So if you're creating a meal, how can you add one more fruit or vegetable to that meal? So if you are creating, if you're making dinner, can you pull one more bag of vegetables out? If you are eating breakfast, can you grab a piece of fruit and put it on the side? And so then it's it takes the diet idea of kind of eating less out of it and puts your mindset in a place of abundance. It's not about eating less. It's about eating better. So how can I offer my body more nutrition? How can I offer it something else that's that is going to help it thrive and give it energy and support its health. So that kind of like add one more nutrition by addition idea is really a good place to start if you're looking for improving the way that you eat. Psst. Are you enjoying this episode as much as I am? Girl, I hope so. If you're getting anything positive from this podcast, I would love it if you left a review and shared it with a friend you feel like needs to hear it. I know you hear this a lot, but this is really the only way other people can benefit and grow from this information as well. If you listen to this podcast, I'm assuming you have a desire for the world to be in a better place. And what better way to do that than by spreading awareness of self-development to help each person grow and be better a little more each day. And you might be asking, well, what's in it for you? Well. I'll shout you out on a future episode if you leave a review. Plus, at that point, we're pretty much friends. And the best part, it's completely free. So thank you so much for being a listener of Grow To Be Free. It really means the world to me. And now, back to the episode. I really I really love that phrase, nutrition by addition. Yeah. Like when you first said that, I was like kind of confused. It's like, what does she mean? Yeah. And it's because like, Usually you would never hear somebody saying like, oh, to be nutritious, add something. Mm-hmm. So that I love that. You just kind of pointed out a little, uh, I don't know, gap in my thinking there <laughs> of like how my relationship with food has yeah. been. So. Well, that's a diet culture idea, right? One of those diet culture mm-hmm. norms is I'm doing better if I can eat less. Let's see mm. how little I can get away with, right? Like, oh, I don't need that extra. I don't need that because um, we have this kind of ingrained idea that less is going to be better for us. But what happens then is we end up not eating enough or feeling restricted, feeling deprived, feeling over hungry. 
And that's when cravings come in. That's when overindulging comes in. We just end up making up for it later. So if instead we can think about how am I going to proactively fuel my body with the stuff that makes it feels feel good before I'm over hungry or like rummaging through the kitchen cabinets, right? Like before I hit that point, I want to serve my body something that's going to serve it. I'm going to kind of avoid some of those things, those behaviors that I don't want to have later on. So there's benefit in like proactivity, right? Just like with, with everything. If you can plan a little bit, you can kind of be one step ahead of yourself. It's going to pay off in the end. That's good. Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad that you brought up cravings because that was actually going to be like my last piggyback question yeah. because when you're talking about listening to your body and you mentioned sometimes you recognize, oh, my body feels hungry or it feels like it wants something. And something it dinged in my head of like, oh, well, I mean, I, I sometimes like crave things and I feel hungry and I'm like, oh, but I had like definitely like ate enough today. And like, I don't know, like sometimes I feel like my own personal body, this might not be true for anyone else, but like sometimes I feel like it, when I start to to eat more, even if it is healthier items, healthier, you know, quote unquote, <laughs> I'll like continue to want to eat. Like it just keeps going. So yeah. I, I question whether or not like that's a legitimate biological thing or it's just like my in my head. <laughs> yeah, it, it, both. It could be both. Um, lots of times our eating patterns are connected to our mental state or our emotions or mood or at that time, right? So it's it's super common for cravings or kind of loss of control around food to come up when we're experiencing some sort of emotional unrest. So that's really common. And so then it's, it's kind of a mindfulness piece of saying, all right, what am I feeling right now? Is food the solution to this problem? Right? Mm -hmm. And food's a really common solution for a lot of people because it, it does make you feel good in that moment, right? You eat something delicious, a little dopamine surge goes off. You're like, cool, I feel better for a second, right? So the problem is it works. It's re it reinforces it. It feels good. Um, but just kind of some of that mindfulness check-in. But if it's not connected to um, an emotional circumstance at the time, if it just springs up out of nowhere, there could be a, a handful of reasons. Um, could be something, I usually would ask you a series of follow-up questions, right? So like, um, even though you feel like you've eaten enough, do you enjoy what you eat is one question. Mm -hmm. So if the flavor is not there, if it doesn't feel satisfying or taste good or look visually appealing, you know, those other senses in there, that could be a factor. Um, is what we're eating nutritionally balanced? So when I say that, I mean, does it include carbohydrates, fats, and proteins? Um, people skimping out on fats, healthy fats, um, can often lead to cravings later on because they don't have the sustained energy or that kind of satiation that comes with um, foods that are higher in fat content. So like that's kind of a factor. Um, if we also, again, accept the idea that food is fuel, often find people experiencing cravings around the times that they're tired. So it might be before you go to bed at night. It might be like I call it a 3 p.m. slump. It might be like in the afternoon when like you, the workday is almost over or whatever and you are like dragging. It's a pick-me-up, right? So there are times to check in with, is food the right solution right now or is getting up and taking a brisk walk the right solution? Is food the right solution or is going to bed and not watching another episode tonight the right solution? Because I'm actually tired. I'm not hungry, right? So it's just kind of like, increasing our mindfulness this is the kind of thing I work on with clients all the time is just um, taking a look at what our habits are like and where that might be coming from because it's different for everybody. Yeah, that's so good. Oh my gosh. I love that. <laughs> well, Steph, this has been amazing. I feel like you just really hit at least some points for me that like really help. So I'm yeah. definitely sure like people listening are getting some good value from this too. So I wanted to give you a chance to talk about some of the resources you have for the listeners and talk about your coaching program. Where can people learn more from you? <laughs> yes. Thank you. I'm glad that you found this helpful. I really am. Um, I'm So I'm Be Well with Steph. 
everywhere you like to hang out on social media. So you can find my Facebook group, Be Well With Stuff. You can, uh, Instagram's where I hang out all the time. So you can find me on Instagram at Be Well With Stuff. Um, I have a podcast of my own. It's Be Well With Stuff, the podcast. So if you just start Googling that in different places or searching it in different places, you'll find that. Um, my website is bewellwithstuff.com. And that's where you can also find links to um, blog, podcasts, some of my um, workshops and stuff that are on there. Um, I'd love to share a resource with your audience if you want to share it with them as well. That is um, some journal pages I have. They're wellness journals, um, daily pages, like a PDF. It's printable. It's free. So if people want to grab that, um, I'd love to share that with them. And then um, there's a few different ways that I work with people. Um, I do sometimes small group coaching. I do some online workshops and stuff like that. And it's all through my website. Um, but really, I love to dig in with people one-on-one. -on -one. So kind of these things that you're bringing up here about, you know, I might feel cravings at this time, or I'm never sure if this kind of meal is balanced or if I'm eating enough here or whatever, or breaking away from kind of tracking mindset and getting into body listening mindset. Um, that's my favorite kind of thing to do. And I do that one-on-one -on -one with women, especially women who are kind of in their 20s and 30s is the sweet spot. Um, so I have some opportunities for one-on-one -on -one coaching, either drop-in appointments, um, which is just like, hey, I want to kind of like set some goals and problem solve a couple things. Um, or I offer my absolute favorite. It's like three-month transformative program for wellness lifestyle coaching. Um, it really takes somebody from, I don't feel comfortable in my lifestyle. I don't think I have good healthy habits. I'm not really sure where to start. Like we go from that point to creating a healthy lifestyle that you feel good about, feeling in control of your choices, habits you love, learning to nourish your body, building in movement routines and kind of creating that ultimate wellness lifestyle. That's my favorite. And um, everything is at bewellwithstuff.com. Amazing. Yeah, guys, check her out. I'm definitely going to take a look at the journal pages. I feel like that's yeah. totally something that I could use. So I'm going to go check it out and I'm going to link it in the show notes, everything that Steph just talked about. So Steph, I am a person of faith. The last thing I love to do is pray for my guests if you'd allow me to. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day and for Steph bringing her into my life. You've given her such a wealth of knowledge on the subject of healthy eating and habits and how that ties in holistically with our lifestyle. God, thank you so much for, for giving her not only the knowledge, but the experience to really help women in this area and to really deconstruct some of the lies and the um, deception that we've been fed throughout our lives, whether it be from media or unfortunately our family culture. Um, Lord, I, I pray for just a significant increase in Steph's business and um, more visibility on the work that she does. So that way more people can get this information and feel um, like their lives are transformed through this. And, and I pray for a, a unification of her family and blessings to come within her relationships around her, um, whether it be familial or um, friendship wise. And I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. What a beautiful soul you are. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Well, thanks, Steph. I'm glad to have you on. and I hope I can have you back. I would love that. It was wonderful to talk with you. I really appreciate this.